next person dies, Fiona, then you can swoop in and find the treasure. Mm -hmm. Just just biding my time. Yep. Or you could push someone in the pit. <laughs> As a yeah. sacrifice. Do you want to come home to Nova Scotia with me next time, Kareem? Just <laughs> I see how this is. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Kareem from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome to our chat today. We are talking about a subject that is quite near, quite dear to my heart. Again, we kind of take turns picking a genre that we maybe love more than another member on staff. And I think this is one that I definitely championed to my own detriment because it was an absolute nightmare trying to choose just one book to recommend. The theme is Amateur Sleuths and private investigators or PIs. So this kind of dates back to the golden age of detecting where a kind of hapless amateur who has no professional qualifications just decides to investigate a mystery or disappearance because they have a personal connection to it or they are just naturally nosy or they're accused of the crime and have to clear their own names. This genre is usually cozy if you're talking about like an amateur detective, if you're talking about a PI, you can look to kind of like the Dashiell Hammetts, the Maltese Falcons, um, Walter Mosley of kind of like the grittier side of mysteries that kind of plumb the depths of human experience. Uh, I think for today, myself and the rest of us have chosen to be a little bit on the sunnier side of this theme. And again, we are a little bit spoiled for choice. If you think about most of the detectives or the detective shows that you know, they usually are an amateur slew. So Miss Marple, Father Brown, um, Rosemary Time, Jessica Fletcher for Murder, She Wrote, my personal hero, uh, even Scooby-Doo. These are all kind of amateurs that are dipping their feet in and getting together to solve a mystery. And they just keep finding bodies. So many bodies. Constantly. Every book finding more bodies. Bit of an occupational hazard. So here today to talk about some unfortunate fellows plunged into the world of mysteries, we have Sadie, Fiona, Virginia, and Liz. And some of you love mysteries more than others. Some of you are just getting started on your mysterious journey. Um, so we are definitely going to get a wide breadth of different kind of investigators. Sadie, take us away with our first mystery. All right. So I am one of those people who is starting my journey in mysteries or have recently started my journey in mysteries. But this is actually a book that I read before I sort of delved uh, deeper into the mystery genre. And the reason I read it was because it is written by an author that I really, really enjoy, Susanna Kearsley. Uh, but it is written under her pseudonym. So this is written by Emma Cole. Uh, and the book is called Every Secret Thing. Um, and at the time that I read it. I was basically reading absolutely everything that Susanna Kearsley had written. Um, she often writes books that take place in two different time periods. So it's somebody who is looking back 
um, on the past and trying to figure out some sort of secret, some sort of mystery. Um, and you get their side of the story as well as the person in the past side of the story. So that is a similar theme um, in this book. And this book revolves around a Canadian journalist, always love that Canada connection, uh, Canadian journalist, uh, Kate Murray. And Kate is in London and she is covering a trial in London. And one day she is on the steps of St. Paul's and she is approached by an older man. And uh, this man comes up to her and asks for her help. He says that because she's a journalist, he was hoping that she would be able to help him solve a crime. Now, he says he knows about a case. The case was from decades earlier, but it was it was never solved. And he thinks that Kate needs to investigate that, investigate this and figure out what happened. So initially, Kate blows him off, um, doesn't really want to talk to him. She has a lot going on with the current trial that she's investigating or that she's covering. Uh, so she just kind of brushes him off. Um, but then the man actually mentions her grandmother by name which draws Kate's attention a little bit. Uh, so more interested, Kate decides that maybe she can listen, maybe she can learn a little bit more about the case. But before she can, and before she can get more information out of this man, the man is struck down by a passing car and killed. Kate is shocked, Kate is confused, and Kate still wants to know more about this man and how exactly he is connected to her family and how he knew her grandmother. She decides that she's going to approach her grandmother and see if maybe she can explain a little bit. So what Kate's grandmother tells her is a story about a secret spy ring and a top secret government work that both her grandmother and this man, Andrew Deacon, did during World War II. After hearing her grandmother's story and receiving a document that Deacon was trying to give to Kate before he was killed, Kate decides that she's going to investigate further and try to solve this decades-old unsolved crime. As she starts her investigation, it leads her to realize that the case might actually not be buried in the past as much as she thought that it was, and that the people that were originally involved in this case are either dead or now being killed off before she has a chance to talk to them or just after she has had a chance to talk to them. Uh, she also realizes that this case is linked in more ways to her own family as well as to Deacon's death. Uh, so Kate is now in a race against time to figure out what exactly is happening and how this is connected to herself, how this is connected to her grandmother and how she can save herself and save her grandmother before the same fate as Deacon met, as well as so many people involved in this case um, happens to her family. Uh, so I won't say anything else, uh, but it is a very action-packed story. Um, if you like books that, like I said, that kind of have a story in the present as well as a story, um, a historical part to them, this is a great one. It was a, definitely a bit more on the mystery side, the crime side uh, than Susanna Kearsley's other books. So if you have read anything by Susanna Kearsley and enjoy her writing, uh, but haven't read this one yet, um, I recommend it. Uh, might not fit into the nice, warm and cozy uh, mysteries, unfortunately, but uh, but definitely an interesting and action-packed story. So That's fine. We will allow it. We will allow it. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, Liz, I know you have not one, but many detectives in your pick. That's right, Corrine. Now, I don't usually read sort of heartwarming stories as my fellow colleagues know. However, this one, despite having the word murder in the title, kind of borders on that. So this is The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. That's my pick for this week. Now, The Thursday Murder Club is comprised of four characters, and they all live at Cooper's Chase Retirement Community. Now, this is definitely a sprawling ground for the affluent septuagenarian uh, with a gourmet restaurant on site, Pilates classes, swimming pool and jacuzzi, lawn bowling, you name it, they've got it. So the Thursday Murder Club indeed meets on Thursdays in one of their meeting rooms, uh, and it is comprised of the leader, Elizabeth, So I may be a little bit partial to this group. Elizabeth, who we suspect may have been a spy in a previous life, although she doesn't quite come out and say that. There's also Joyce, who was a nurse. Ibrahim, who was a psychiatrist. And Ron, uh, who was a firecracker in the union scene. So we've got these four diverse personalities. Some are sweet, some are bold, but they all have big hearts. And what they enjoy doing at the Thursday Murder Club is to take old case files for unsolved murders and try to crack these cases using their various connections and their wits. Now, Cooper's Chase, the retirement community itself, is on the site of a former convent. Now, still on the grounds is a lovely cemetery where the nuns of that convent uh, are buried. Now, the developer of Cooper's Chase, his name is Ian, he wants to expand this property to get more elderly and septuagenarians on the property uh, in order to boost his profits. However, that would require digging up said cemetery. This is causing outrage amongst the members of Cooper's Chase. And wouldn't you know it, before long, Ian's right-hand man, his carpenter, turns up dead. He's been murdered. And the Thursday Murder Club is all over that. They know the victim, they're familiar with him, and now they feel like they have a real-life, real-time case to solve. Well, that is not all. Amidst a kerfuffle at Cooper's Chase, where the cemetery is padlocked and essentially human barricaded by the residents, the developer, Ian, shows up to confront them, and before long, he drops dead right in front of them all. So the Thursday Murder Club now has two deaths on their hands. They suspect that Ian, who seemed to be in relatively good health, was also murdered. So there's lots of twists and turns within the story. You get to know the various characters in the Thursday Murder Club better, and they all ultimately are really heartwarming characters. You get to see that these elderly folk have a lot still left to give, and they're willing to put themselves out there in order to live their best lives. I really enjoyed this book. It is a newer book, so you may be waiting on hold for it for a while. However, lots of glowing reviews, and I would have to concur that Indeed, those reviews were well-deserved. So if you want a bit of feel-good, but with a sprinkling of murder in there, actually a lot of murder, then you may want to check out The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. 
It's a good book. It sounds like it would be quite humorous as well as describing it. I can. Those those yeah. characters are sassy. And they're at the point in their lives where they do not hold back. So if you like that kind of humor, then I think you'll like this one. And he is a, he's kind of like a television personality. And so, yeah, his sense of humor, just like, it's so snappy. The dialogue just crackles. And I would watch like a million episodes of this television show. All right. um, I think I am going to go next. As I mentioned in the intro, this was excruciating. (laughs) It was really, really hard to choose just one book with an amateur sleuth because that's, that's what I love to read. I love like a little old lady who's kind of snooping in on her neighbors. Maybe she owns a tea shop. Maybe she owns a bed and breakfast and she's solving some crimes. But I decided to go with one that I felt like kind of went under the radar a little bit, but is a little gem of a book. And the second book in the series has just come out. So I chose the first in the Sparks and Bainbridge series, which is called The Right Sort of Man by Alison Montclair. And I really enjoyed this one because it is a historical. So it is post-World War II. It is London. Um, It is a time of austerity. Um, Most of the buildings are still in ruins after the Blitz. They have yet to be recovered. Um, It's a gray place. It's a difficult place. All of the soldiers are returning for more, not just the men, but the women whose struggles have kind of gone unsung or unrecognized during the war effort, um, as well as those who were there on the home front. So in the midst of all this kind of uncertainty and bleakness, two kind of polar opposite personalities come together to start a new business venture. So there is Miss Iris Sparks, who is quick-witted, smart, snappy, impulsive, a little bit more fashionable. And uh, Mrs. Gwendolyn Bainbridge, who is a widow with a young son who's kind of struggling to make ends meet, as well as deal with her late husband's family, who seem to want to take her son away from her. They kind of join forces to found a business, which is a matchmaking agency. So after the war, there are lots of eligible women, less eligible men. And how in this kind of changing, tumultuous social area, how do they find each other? Well, you can engage the services of the right sort marriage bureau, and they will take your application and try to find you the perfect match. They're just starting out on their business and all seems to be going pretty well until one of their prospective brides is found murdered. And the police point the finger at one of the gentlemen that the right sort marriage bureau had matched her with. Fearing the the implications to their business as well as their loss of reputation, these two decide to join forces to find out who really did the crime, clear the name of the poor gentleman who has been accused, and find the real killer. This is a delightful historical mystery. The characters are so vividly drawn throughout the book. You get a sense of what their war was like, um, some of them on the home front and kind of surprisingly some of them uh, more on the front line than you would have thought for a well-bred young lady. Um, The dialogue is very snappy. You get a little bit of history. It has a wonderful sense of atmosphere. The second book is out in the series and I, I think it's kind of one of those those lovely hidden gems for people who really like the Maisie Dobbs series or Iona Wishaw and I hope that they write many, many more in the series. 
Now, I'm very excited for my skill testing existential question of dread today, because this is a subject of which I am very passionate about. And my question is, what unsolved mystery, supernatural, true crime, whatever, would you like to see solved? And I'm going to throw this over to Virginia. Of course, uh, the mystery of Kwashi and the Sasquatch mystery is what I really, really would like to get solved. But other than that, um, I think probably like the whole Malaysian airline flight 370, it's to me is something that I, I guess it's because recent is also something that we all probably have experience doing getting on a plane, right? So something that is so common occurrence, like that happened, what, in 20, 2014? Something that happened so recently that there's still like absolutely no idea what happened. You know, you just have like 239 people that just disappeared and they never find anything. I feel like that's, to me, is probably one that I would really like to know what happened. Just because it's such a, it's a thing that we all, it could have been us so easily because it is something that we all do and people do all the time every day not maybe not these days but so yeah that probably is but you know really Kwachi is what I really would like to know that's fair that's fair and are you are you a Sasquatch believer Virginia or a Sasquatch skeptic uh yeah you have to or else how would Kwachi exist if I don't believe in Kwachi so yes yes absolutely of course of course okay Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry for asking. Sorry for asking. Uh, Fiona, what is the unsolved mystery that keeps you up late at night? <laughs> well, a childhood obsession when I was a kid was the Oak Island mystery. So for the sake of eight-year-old me, I would really love for that to be solved. And I was convinced that it was going to be me who solved it. In Nova Scotia, there's a little island um, on the South Shore, which is just a beautiful, beautiful picturesque location and there's this little island that since like uh the 17 late 1700s they have been looking for treasure on and there's all sorts of theories about you know it's captain kidd's treasure it's the holy grail it's all of these like people have different theories and there's this money pit that like has been excavated multiple times but they think that there were like traps in it that got sprung and like released the treasure into the ocean essentially um and it like flooded with water so it'll probably never get solved um and like maybe there was nothing to begin with but just still holding out hope it sells a lot of books and it and it you know they've made quite a few tv shows so great 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 choice fiona great choice <laughs> all right uh and well, no wasn't there a skeleton found in it? Or am I thinking of one of the made television shows? You might be right. I think that's real. And there is, oh, that's the other thing. There's a, um, like a curse around it that seven, seven men are going to die looking for the treasure. And so far, six have died. So yeah, Now, do you think death. that that means <laughs> that after the seventh has died, then the treasure will be found? Like, is that the curse is the seven and then the treasure will be found after that? So once that next person dies Fiona then you can swoop in and find the treasure mm -hmm. just just biding my time yep or you could push someone in the pit <laughs> as yeah. a sacrifice Do you want to go home to Nova Scotia with me next time Kareem just <laughs> I see how this is all right uh Sadie what is your unsolved mystery 
So I tend to stay away from unsolved mysteries because they creep me out. Um, I like things that are nicely wrapped up and solved and no questions about uh, whether or not uh, these things can come back and impact my life. Um, so kind of similar, but also completely opposite to Virginia's where um, it was something that could happen to any of us at any time. Um, I had to do a little bit of research for this one and I found one that I was able to separate myself from. And this is about the Mary Celeste ship. So in uh, December 1872, a British American ship called the Mary Celeste uh, was found empty and adrift in the Atlantic. All of their cargo was still there. It was still seaworthy. Uh, one of the lifeboats, I believe, which appeared to have been boarded, but no one knows where the people went. There was no real signs of, of any intense issues with the boat um and and so no one has ever heard ever heard from any of those people ever again uh so something like that i can separate myself enough from because i don't tend to make any cross-atlantic ship journeys these days but it has enough of a supernatural element that that it's kind of intriguing um and who doesn't love a ghost ship everyone loves a ghost ship everyone loves a ghost ship now do you think it was aliens See, I, I tend to not think think as aliens. Um, I'm more into the magical supernatural stream than like the alien side of things. So, so yeah, maybe maybe some sort of Bermuda Triangle, but not type of thing. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Maybe, fair enough. Maybe they're all living under the water and have been living under the ocean and can breathe underwater since the ship was abandoned. Sounds like a great YA novel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, Liz, I know you watch Unsolved Mysteries a little bit as a child, or at least watched the theme song and then had to shut off the TV because it was too scary. So what is your Unsolved Mystery? Yeah, the latter is right. The theme song would come on. I would get freaked out, and then I would go to bed with the light on. Um, so, yeah, not my favorite topic either. Um, however, I, I am going to choose a rather dark crime for my unsolved mystery that I would like to see solved. Uh, and it's more local to us here in the Lower Mainland in BC. Uh, and it's called The Babes in the Wood Murders. So two identified boys, the bodies, were found uh, around 1947 in Stanley Park. And um, they were discovered in 1953, but the experts believe they were murdered in the late uh, 40s. So from what they can discern, um, these were two brothers between the ages of six and 10, never reported missing or been searched for as far as anybody knows. And what was incredibly odd was the way that their bodies were positioned in the park. So they were basically, the soles of their feet were, were together and they were in a line. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so it's a very odd case. Um, and nobody's been able to, you know, figure out who these kids belong to, which I, I think is incredibly sad. So, um, yeah, I hope that this this case does get uh, solved in our lifetime. Yeah, if you ever take a, a tour of the Vancouver Police Museum, they have some some information about the case or go on like a ghost tour of Vancouver. But it's a very sad story just because it's so little information and it's it's so odd. 
yeah, that would be a really good one to kind of like apply modern policing techniques and maybe DNA at some point to see if they can they can find and identify these these kids. Yeah. Um, for my unsolved mystery, like obviously at the top would be the Black Dahlia, but like of secondary, I chose something that I find my tops the funnest. I am of course speaking about DB Cooper. DB Cooper sky hijack oh hijacker of the skies so in 1971 slick guy in a suit and some sunglasses boards a boeing 727 kind of sits back asks the um, flight attendant to come over slides her a note and says uh i've got a bomb in my suitcase so i'm gonna need two hundred thousand dollars thank you very much they land the plane he gets the cash he gives them coordinates to fly to halfway through he takes the money and some duffel bags and jumps out of the plane and is never seen from again this is kind of like an active investigation for the fbi for 49 years there are like 600 boxes about all the information of trying to track down db cooper or dan cooper and he has never been caught never been found did he plummet to his death probably <laughs> probably but we don't know did he get away with it that would be rad um how could he be so cool on a plane oh it's just it's like a great mystery his identity has never been discovered and i like i want it to be solved but also i don't want it to be solved because it's almost funner as an unsolved mystery <laughs> all right speaking of more unsolved mystery or wait solved mysteries speaking of solved mysteries we're gonna go over to virginia all right i'm super excited to tell you about this well i didn't know that it's supposed to be like cozy or warm or whatever i completely missed that memo so i have got for you today this body is not big enough for both of us by edgar cantero Edgar Cantero is a writer that writes in both Spanish and in English and give you love Stranger Things. I would highly recommend his other book called Meddling Kids. It's got all the Stranger Things vibes for you. But let's get back to This Body is Not Big Enough for Both of Us, a title that I just want to say over and over again. Um, this story, like many of the ones that we talk about today, begins with a murder. We found Mikey Lyon dead in his own home, in moist in his villa, his mansion, because he is the son of Victor Lyon, the big boss of the most powerful, most ruthless, the biggest drug cartel in California. Mikey was involved in a shootout just a few days ago. We think he was meeting with the Japanese Yakuza in a diner, like, you know, for some business, but it probably didn't go very well and it ended up in a big shootout. And now Mikey is dead. And Victor, the father, of course, is furious and vows to avenge his son and he is convinced that it must be the Japanese Yakuza because on Mikey's body is a red chrysanthemum, the symbol of the Japanese Yakuza. But Danny is trying to convince Victor that the Japanese Yakuza is not involved. He is trying to stop an all-out war between the two because Danny has been in the drug cartel for about two years, he's kind of risen through the ranks into now the right-hand man of Victor, but he's actually an undercover cop. So for the last two years, he has been trying to gather intel and gather all the evidence to put the cartel away once and for all. So if the war breaks out now, 
all his work, all the plans of the police is just going to be thrown out the window. So he's trying to stop a war from happening. And the only thing he could do, he thinks he could do, is to convince Victor that the Yakuza has nothing to do with this. Being part of the drug cartel, like it's not like they're going to invite the police to come investigate the body. So he has to rely on hiring a private investigator, somebody that he trusts that has really, really good detective skills so that they can find all the clues that they might have missed. And this person, he believes, is Aset Kimrin. His bosses, on the other hand, not so convinced that Aset Kimrin are the people that they should call. Because if you don't know Aset Kimrin, well, it does take a bit of time for you to get used to the idea of this pair of siblings. A stands for Adrian, and Z is, I guess, C or whatever you call it, is Sui. And the two are siblings. They are twins, in fact. Adrian is the calm, cool, collected, analytical mind. He's the one with all the keen sense of observation and all the great superior deduction skills. And he's the one who you really want when you're trying to solve a murder or any cases for that matter. Sui is sort of the opposite. She is all emotions, all feelings, all the time. And, you know, she gets distracted by any moving object, big or small. And if you value your life, you will never get into a car with Sui if she plans to drive. Danny wants to hire Adrian. But Adrian always comes with Sui. You can't get one and not the other. Because they are actually what they call chimera twins. They're both two independent, two completely separate people, genetically speaking, but they coexist and they live and they share the same body. So if you want Adrian, you get Zoe at the same time. And the bosses are not sure if this is the best idea because as they are interviewing Adrian and talking to him, like Zoe will show up and... They're like, yeah, I don't know about this. You know, I don't know if I can trust this big case with them. But Danny is convinced this is the only person that will ever be able to solve the case and or at least buy them some time to find enough clues to convince Victor that this has nothing to do with the Yakuza. So they decided to give Kimrian a chance. So is Kimrian going to be able to solve this case and stop the war from happening? You have to read the book and find out. Now, I think this is like the perfect book to wrap up my reading year this year. We all need some laughs. We all need some chuckles. And this book, every single paragraph is a joke, a pun, a bad pun sometimes, you know, and some references, some pop references. They're all like so much fun to read. And it makes me laugh out loud, which I have not done for a while. And I totally needed that this year. It's also a book that plays with a lot of the tropes um, that you find and, and all the stereotypes that you find in the um, noir crime novels. So it's really fun when you see an author take those tropes, take those familiar things and turn them upside down and make something new out of it. So I really, really appreciate that. Of course, you know, being a book that I like, it's going to be something weird, something kind of a little bit crazy, but also has some like nice tender moments in this one between the characters. So if you have a high tolerance of the 
ridiculousness, give you prefer your humor to be sort of on the darker side, give you like something crazy, give you just want something fun to read, I would highly recommend you to check out This Body is Not Big Enough for Both of Us by Edgar Cantero. It is a fun book. I like that book. Did you read it? I did, yeah. Yeah. It's so weird and so much fun. Yeah, it is. It is. Just what we need, something you don't think too hard on. But it's still a good crime private investigator novel, I think so. I actually have it in my house right now. <laughs> yeah, based on Sadie's recommendation. So now it's got two recommendations. If I knew you have read that, I would have picked because this <laughs> other one I was going to pick is called Free Backs Fool. It's about a bunch of sheep trying to solve the murder of their shepherd. The shepherd has been killed and they're trying to. So I was going to pick that one instead. <laughs> Because it's also crazy. That also sounds Why wonderful. Why a bunch of sheep trying to solve a murder? <laughs> Why not? It would certainly be cozy. Probably. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. And now you're on, Fiona. All right. So as you may have gathered throughout this, uh, I'm not a huge fan of murder. <laughs> um, so I don't read a lot of mystery. That is where uh, kids mystery comes in. And who is more of an amateur sleuth than a child? Um, <laughs> so uh, the, the book I have chosen is The Case of, the, of Windy Lake by Michael Hutchinson. And this is a uh, Mighty Mis- Muskrat's Mystery. Sam, Otter, Atten, and Chickadee are cousins living on the Windy Lake First Nation. Chickadee is a tech whiz. Otter is keen to learn traditions. Uh, Sam is smart and a great leader. And Atin is someone who I often got confused with the others. So there are four of them, but um, I did have trouble telling them apart. Um, And in their community, there are some people who are at odds because a mining company has come into the community. And while they're creating lots of new jobs, uh, they're not really respecting community resources. The Musrat's older cousin, Denise, uh, leads a protest against the mining company, and she ends up chaining herself to the pier in the mining company's work area. This is complicated because their uncle, Levi, is actually a police officer on the reserve. When a visiting archaeologist is hired by the mining company to check out the lay of the land, he goes missing and the cousins are on the case. While the muskrats are totally competent and sure of themselves, they do a lot of searching throughout the community and getting help from their elders and family members, which is something that I kind of felt distinguished this from some other children's mysteries uh, where they just go off and do like wild, wild kid things and you know, this, and everybody says, you can't do it, you're too young. They were sort of like empowered and, um, and you know, we're learning from their community um, to help solve this mystery. So uh, the author, Michael Hutchinson, is a member of the, the Mississippostwick Cree Nation, uh, which is north of Winnipeg. Uh, and I thought this book just did like a great job of exploring some indigenous content, like uh, conflict with resource extraction um, government neglect and indifference uh, and preservation of traditional ways while also serving up just a fun kids mystery. So I'm really excited for the next one, which is called The Case of the Missing Auntie. 
Nice. And the second book is out in that series. Yeah, uh, it's called The Case of the Missing Auntie. Um, is it out already? I believe the second one is out. Yes, absolutely. On hold. <laughs> uh, two mysteries in one year, Fiona. Two? Yep. <laughs> this is shocking. I, I do love how this podcast is kind of like making us branch out a little bit um, that we hope you're doing as well, that you you enjoy your picks and you can always let us know what your picks are as well. Who do you think is the best amateur sleuth? It's Miss Marple um, or others. Um, <laughs> and what books with amateur sleuths or private investigators would you recommend? Because um, it is a big, vast, wonderful um, slowly diversifying, but headed in a good direction genre. And I, I feel like it's, it's just going to get better as the years go by. So thank you so much to our, to everyone who indulged, um, my desire to talk about amateur sleuth and mystery novels. I very much appreciate it. And, uh, thank you to all of you for, uh, listening to Keep It Fictional and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. <laughs>